Hey guys, thank you for joining us online today. We, we literally have people from all over the world, many different countries and uh, all states in the United States almost. Uh, people join in and watch us online and we're honored uh, that you watch us and we really hope that today through the Word of God, He does some incredible things in your life and, and literally awakens some things in your soul about who He is. And now, what we don't want is we don't want this to be your total church experience. Church is not meant to be virtual, uh, it's meant to be lived in community. And so therefore, we want you to plug in uh, to a physical church where there's real people. And so if you live in our Middle Tennessee area, we would love to have you to become involved in one of our campuses. If you'll get online at lifepointchurch.org, we uh, will, there you will find all the information you can find on any of our campuses. If you need help from there, just email us from our, from our website. Let us know. Send us a Facebook message. We'll be glad to help you plug in. If you don't live in our Middle Tennessee area, then we will be glad to help you find a, a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, God-honoring church in your area. And so again, email us from the website, send us a message on Facebook. We will be glad to help you find a church, recommend some churches for you to plug into. Again, thank you for watching today. Uh, we hope God does some incredible things in your life. And remember, what He does in your life, we want you to take that and pour that out into others' lives. And so thank you for being here. God bless you. I hope God does some great things in your life today. So we are going through the book of John, and we're just we're, we're continuing through the book of John. And as we start off today, I want to tell you a little bit about a man named John, all right? Now, not John, the gospel John, not the, a, a real modern-day John that lives right now, okay? His name's John. He grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia, and he attended and went to college at Virginia Tech University. So he's a hokey, whatever that is, all right? So, uh, but he, he's a hokey. Then he went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary after he felt like God called him to ministry. And he is now currently the worship pastor at North Shore Church in Sweeney, Texas. He lives there with his wife. His wife's name is Tara, is his, his, the love of his life. And, and, and they got married. She's a second grade teacher. She teaches school there. They have a, uh, uh, their son, by the way, was just inducted into the National Junior Honor Society. Now, old John, he, he loves his beard. He's like a lot of you dudes, and man, you know, he loves his beard. And I love, you know, beards. He loves his beard and his mustache and, and all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't really love social media. He doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot of posting on social media, which is weird for a musician, right? And so, so here's the thing. I know a whole lot of information about John. And so you can stand up and say, man, this guy knows John. I don't have a clue who John is. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't really know John. You, you, you know what I did? We're going through the book of John, the gospel of John. So this week I said, you know what? I want to do a Facebook search on somebody and see how much information I can find out about him in two minutes. So I went on Facebook and I did a, a search for John, Johnny Bible, John Bible, you know, and I said, I want to see if there's a Johnny Bible. And I learned all this information about a guy named John Bible in like two minutes. So I know information about him, but I have no clue who this guy is, right? He's probably going to be watching on the internet. So I go, hey, that dude over there, he's missing you on the internet. I have no clue who he is. All right. Now here, here, here's the thing. My point in doing that was to show you that we can know a lot of information about people and have no clue who they are. You know what, that, that describes a lot of people's relationship with Jesus. They know a lot of info about Jesus. Some of it good, some of it bad, accurate, inaccurate. But they don't have a clue who Jesus really is. And when you know a lot of info about Jesus, that's good if you're playing Bible trivia, okay? But it's bad if you want to get to heaven and, 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 and have satisfaction and security on this planet, right? It's going to take more than info. And so that's what we're learning as we go through the book of John, right? Now, John was Jesus' best friend when he walked this planet, okay? I mean, he was Jesus' ride or die, so to speak, right? When Jesus was breathing the, the oxygen of this atmosphere, he and John were tight. And so John gives us some things that the other gospel writers don't give us, right? And so John tells us that he wrote these things for one purpose, that we might know the real Jesus and have life, because life is only in Jesus, right? And so today we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And in 1 through 13, here's what we're going to find. John gives us three groups of people who had a lot of information about Jesus. I mean, some of them, one group knew him ever since they were born. They had all the info, but they had no clue who Jesus really was. I mean, these folks, they, they were all religious. Man, they grew up. Man, they think they're good with God. They grew up, and, and, and they think we are good with God, but he's right with them. He's eating with them, laughing with them, walking with them, and they have no clue who he really is. They have no clue. 
And so we can learn some things from these guys today, these groups of people, I should say. And our, our, well, the question we want to pose to you is, who is Jesus to you? Because it really matters, right? There's only one real Jesus, but there's a lot of Jesuses that people have made up that's not accurate, right? Who is Jesus to you? Because it really matters. And so we're going to come out and we're going to look at John uh, chapter 7. And I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 10. And and, and here we go. Let's dive in together as we read 1 through 10. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now get this, verse 5, zone in right here. For his, not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Now, as, as, as we look at John chapter 7, remember in John 6, Jesus is filling arenas every night. His popularity is off the charts. He's at the height of his ministry. He's two and a half years in, or really in John 6, he's two years into his ministry, and his popularity is skyrocketing, filling arenas every night. People are coming, they're flocking, they're hanging on his every word, they're wanting to see his miracles, and they're wanting to make this guy king. I mean, man, it's like this is him. Let's make him king. And then in John 6, he says, you want to make me king? He begins to tell them what's required to be a citizen of his kingdom. And they say, oh, 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 ho, ho, ho. They put on the brakes in a hurry. As a matter of fact, they're filling the arenas. Now they start filing out of the arenas. They start walking away because John tells us his teaching was just too hard. You see, Jesus was more interested in genuine conversion than a shallow crowd. And so he begins a clear call to discipleship, which causes people to say, oh, wait a minute. That's not the Jesus that I had made up in my mind. That's not the Jesus I really want. I want the genie in a bottle Jesus. I want the Jesus that's going to help me be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's the the Jesus I want that's going to give me free food and free health care. That's the Jesus. But hold on a minute. What, all this surrender and all this, you know, loving him more than, you know, I, 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 than I love my mama and I love my daddy. And I mean, you know, I've got to like submit to what he wants. I don't know about that. So they start to walk away, right? Now, as they're, as they're walking away uh, and, and, and they, they stop following Jesus, many of them stop following Jesus, and now we come to, to chapter 7, and John says, after this, he stayed in Galilee, for they wanted to kill him in Judea. And so, basically, there's six months passed between John 6 and John 7, six months that John doesn't tell us about. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't do anything. It doesn't mean Jesus chillaxed on a beach for six months, right? It doesn't mean Jesus, after he fed the thousands with the fish and the loaves, and after he'd done all the teaching and all that, Jesus said, boys, I'm just tired, man. We've been at this for two years. Let's go lay on the beach for a while, right? I mean, that wasn't what Jesus did. Matter of fact, the other gospel writers tell us what Jesus did in those six months. It tells us that he did things like, well, he fed another group of thousands of people. He, he you know, he, he continued to heal people. He, the whole amount of transfiguration thing takes place in those six months. He didn't slow down. But what he really did was he he began to shift his focus from the crowds to his disciples to prepare them for his impending death, which was six months away. We're six months from the cross when we get to John 7, okay? And so so Jesus still did this. And so now John 7, he comes in and he says, and the feast of booths was at hand, the Jewish feast of booths. Now, there's three types of feasts or three feast festivals that were on the annual Jewish calendar that were huge to the Jews, okay? Matter of fact, if you were a Jewish male in the region, you pretty much had to go to Jerusalem to be at one of these feasts. And the first feast was the feast of unleavened bread. 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was basically Pesach or Passover, took place in March or April. And the Jews operated under their feast under the lunar calendar, sort of like our Easter, you know. That's why Easter sometimes in early March, sometimes in late April. It depends on the lunar calendar, right? And so, so, so their uh, Passover was in March, April. This is probably the most important, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it commemorated G uh, God redeeming Israel from Egypt by the Passover lamb, if you'll remember. But for Christians, it also pointed forward to Jesus being our Passover lamb. That was the first feast, March, April. Now, the second feast took place 50 days later. It was called the Feast of Weeks or Shabbat Pentecost, right? And Penta means 50, and it took place 50 days after Passover for a reason, because as Passover commemorated God bringing them out of Egypt, then the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost was it commemorated God giving the law on Mount Sinai. And then it pointed forward to God pouring out his spirit into the hearts. The law would be in our hearts, pouring out his spirit. So the third feast that was on their calendar is the Feast of Booths. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. It took place in September, October. It was the fall. And so that's what time we're looking at here. We're looking at, at the fall. And what it was, it was a week-long feast in the fall. And it was probably their favorite because it celebrated the harvest. And it also commemorated how when God led them through the wilderness for 40 years as they wandered, he, God provided. They would sleep in booths. That's why it's called the Feast of Booths. What we would call them tents, okay? We would call them tents. And so it's really Jewish camping, okay? Now, uh, it wasn't camping like we think of camping. We think of camping, what we really think about is glamping, right? I mean, they weren't glamping. They were roughing it. You know, we, we, we got our airstreams. To them, an airstream was a cold draft in the middle of the night, okay? I mean, they were, they were really camping, roughing it, but God provided. And so what they would do during the Feast of Booze for one week, they would all build tents or build what they would call booths, but they would build tents if they were in the city on the roofs that were flat or if they're in rural areas out in their yard or somewhere, they would build tents and they would sleep in them for a week to remember everything that God did during those 40 years. And the prophet Zechariah talked about it uh, in reference to the return of the Messiah. There was some significance there. And so, you know, when the Messiah would return and they would do all these things like when the rock, when Moses hit, the, when, when they didn't have water and God told Moses to struck the rock and water came out and you know so they would pour out some water and they would light this big menorah which I'll tell you all this because this entire chapter 7 is written in the backdrop of the feast of booths as we we're going to spend about three weeks here and as we go through this the Feast of Booths is very important. When Jesus gets down and says, come you who are thirsty, as they're pouring out the water, the light as they're lighting the menorah, you're going to understand, and even today, some things that you're going to understand in light of the Feast of the Booths. So it's time for the Feast of Booths. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people would converge upon Jerusalem during this feast. It's like Super Bowl type Sunday in a city, right? People everywhere come to Jerusalem. And so his brothers come to him. Which, listen, this is the first group. The first group I want to look at, the group of people who know a lot about Jesus but don't have a clue who Jesus really is are his brothers. Now, that's important for a lot of reasons. One, some of you were born and raised in a Catholic uh, situation. You're, you're, you're born Catholic. You're raised Catholic. And, and the Catholics, uh, you know, believe that Mary was what they call in Latin, Semper Virgo. Now, Semper is always, right? Like a few, uh, you know, uh, or Marine, it's Semper Fi, right? And so, so, I mean, always faithful. But they thought Mary, they say Mary is Semper Virgo, which means always virgin. They think she's a perpetual virgin, which means she had Jesus. Now, we know Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin at her conception and at the birth of Jesus. Uh, Mary had never had sex with a man, and, and God, uh, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, came upon her. She, she conceived, gave birth to Jesus as a virgin, Right? So they would say, the Catholics say she, that her and Joseph, after Jesus' birth, never consummated their relationship. She was always a virgin, right? And so Mary's held in such high esteem, worshipped, and so he, he prayed to. He, here's the thing. Uh, that sounds good. It builds a legend, but it's always really sad when the truth gets in the way of a good story, isn't it? Right? The Bible is clear that Jesus had brothers, 
I mean, the Bible is clear that Jesus had brothers. I mean, Jesus, Mary and Joseph had, had some, some sons. They had some kids after Jesus was born. They indeed consummated the relationship, enjoyed uh, marriage in every way as God intended for them to enjoy marriage, and had brothers, right? And, and so the, his brothers, uh, John says, did not know uh, Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus. So it's time for the Feast of Booths. So they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, if, you know, you're always walking around claiming to be God, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're the bread of life thing, and, man, you're always doing these miracles in front of people, and everybody's following you, and, uh, I mean, man, you got crowds coming around, and, hey, Jesus, if you really want to do something, if you really want to impress somebody, I mean, you got to get out of this hick town. Everything you're doing is in these hick towns. Jerusalem's the capital. That's where the power brokers are, right? And there's thousands of people going to Jerusalem. I tell you what, Jesus, you really want to be somebody, you've got to get out of here. If you want to be somebody, you've got to get out of Bowling Green, Jesus, right? I mean, that's what they're saying. I mean, you, you got to get down to the power structure, right? And so they're either mocking him, right, or they're motivating him. It, 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 either way, I mean, they're mocking him, like, oh, Jesus, you know, or, or they're motivating him, and if they would be motivating him, they would be motivating him because they've fallen in line with some of the crowd. Maybe they're embarrassed because some of the crowd's been walking away. Their brother was building this following, and now they're, they're walking away, and they're saying, man, go take care of it, do something, save our family name, or, or they're saying they believe like the crowd, we need to make him king. They're either mocking him or motivating him. I sort of did it like they're mocking, and so, here's the thing, it really doesn't matter whether they're mocking or motivating him. The point is they didn't believe in him. They did not believe in Jesus. They knew everything about Jesus, but they did not believe in Jesus. Now, you know, as, as you look at this, this the, the, these, these brothers, I mean, you know, when they said, Jesus, you go into Jerusalem and do your thing in Jerusalem for the power brokers, here's what Jesus said. Jesus then said to them, you go on. You can go at any time. My time's not fully come. What's he talking about? And it, 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 here's what he's saying. Let, let me tell you what he's saying. And it sounds like there's some contradiction because, uh, you know, in, in verse, what, 8, it said, my time's not fully come. And then in verse 10, after they leave, it says, he went up. What's that talking about? Well, first off, my time's not fully come. Sometimes it refers to the cross. Here it's referring to it's not time for me to go to the feast yet. All right, then when they, because here's the whole point. When they say, hey, Jesus, why don't you pick up your show and take your magic tricks and go all the way to Jerusalem so you can impress the power brokers if you really want to be somebody. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, guys, y'all can go on any time. My time's not come. What he's saying is, hey, hey, guys, listen, you can go at any time because you know why? You live for, under your own authority. You do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and it really is insignificant. You don't answer to anybody. You do whatever you want to do. You live for your power. You live in your power for your glory under your own authority. You drive your life, right? But you see, and he says, the world's not going to hurt you. The world's not going to kill you. You're part of their team. And by the way, it's the losing team. But you're a part of their team. They're not going to hurt you or kill you. But you see, I'm different. But Jesus said, I, you know what? I, I can't go anywhere I want, anytime I want, do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm constrained by the Spirit. I don't live under my authority. I live under the authority of God. I don't do what I want when I want. I do what he wants when he wants me to do it, okay? So, so, so what he is saying here and, and, and is basically is I, I live for God's will, in God's time, for God's glory, if you're not a Christian, you just do whatever you want whenever you want it, right, for your own glory. That's the point he's making. Now, I think there's some incredibly very practical things about this. One, I think everybody in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, then you would say, man, I want to know God's will. I love knowing God's will, right? And, and, and we focus on God's will. But there's a second part to that in this that we see that I think we zone out on some, and that's God's time. Living God's will is vital. It's very important. But living God's time is also very important, right? Living God's will in God's time. I mean, and if we ever get ahead of God or anytime we get out of sync with God, and even if we do his will in the wrong time, it always leads to pain. And some of you, let me, let me give you an example. Some of you are very single right now, and you believe it's God's will for you to be married. Now, some of you, it might not be God's will for you to be married, and that's okay. It's a call to singleness. That's great. Some of you believe God's will is for you to get married. You really believe that. Okay, great. Then that means the next thing would be God's will is for you to get married if you do. The next thing would be what's God's time, and that's waiting on God. And let me tell you, 
some, some, give you some ideas or some things that will help you to understand you're trying to rush God's time. You're single, you think it's God's will for you to get married, but you're a Christian and you're dating a non-Christian. First off, that's not God's will, okay? That's not God's will. God says do not date. A Christian does not date someone who is not a believer uh, because they uh, live under their own authority, do their own thing uh, for their own glory, right? And so, but, so first off, that's not God's will, and you're trying to rush God's time. You're cohabitating, not God's time. Well, not God's time. Some of you, 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 you get a job, right? Or you want a job and you want a different job, right? Now, let, let, let me tell you the difference in how a Christian and a non-Christian would process. A, 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 a non-Christian doesn't process at all if this person is a Christian or not a Christian before I marry him. Man, are, are, they, are they hot? Are they, you know, I mean, what's, the, what's the, the, the things? Are they hot? Am I attracted to them? Are they nice? I think, you know, I, I mean, you know, but. Christian, non-Christian, that's not in the process, right? You, you need a job. Your, your questions are not, God, is this your will? So here's what we do. Your question is, what's the money? You know, can it make me happy? Where's the, and, and all those things. And not that, not that those things are bad questions, but here's the thing. It, you know, sometimes people jump for jobs for just for the money. Folks, that might be getting ahead of God's time. You see, we Christians, according to what Jesus is saying right here, is we're constrained by the Spirit. We're constrained by the Spirit. We live for, under God's authority, for God's will, in God's time, for God's glory. And so that means everything I have to do is submitted to the Lord. That means when I marry someone, then I know this is my wife, right? Amy is my wife. She's the one God gave me. She is my wife, right? And some of you would say, man, I don't know, though. Man, that was a long time ago, and, and I might have misread that. That's the wife God gave you, dudes. That's the husband God gave you. And so now what's God's will? That you are married. And so you got, I'm constrained by the Spirit. I am, I am. I do things God's will, God's way, for God's glory. And so, see, the, the thing about jetting, eh, got to take that out. You see, that's why it's important to live for God's will in God's time, for God's glory, right? So same thing with a job. You see, I, I believe, folks, we need to understand calling in our life and timing, which means that I don't just make a decision about, okay, we're going to move to this state or this city because we just really coolly like it there, or we're going to move, you know, for this job because it's more money, or we're going to bounce here, or we're going to bounce there, or we're going to do this. It's like, God, you pray, and you're constrained by the Spirit. That's what Jesus is teaching here. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, guys, y'all can do whatever you want, whatever you want, but I can't. It's not my time to go yet. I go when the Holy Spirit says to go, okay? And so in pre-Christian days, uh, you know, but in our pre-Christian days, we say, I want what I want when I want it, right? After we become a Christian, man, we, we start our journey. It's I want what God wants when I want it. But then as we grow and mature, it changes and grows and evolves into I want what God wants when God wants it, right? And so it's God's will, uh, in God's time for God's glory, right? Now think about Jesus' brothers. Okay, all that. Now think about Jesus' brothers. Some couple cool things we can learn from this. They're, they don't believe in him. Now it would be hard for a brother to believe that his brother's God. You, you, everybody agree with that? I mean, now think about how difficult it was for his brothers. Try to put yourself in their shoes, okay? They played Little League with Jesus, probably. Now, if you're playing Little League with Jesus, no James, James, one of Jesus' brothers, he steps up to the plate, and, man, he whiffs. He's got a batting average of about 110, right? And that's when he got, you know, blind hog theory. He, 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 then, then, you know, Jude steps up, and, man, he pop, fouls, out, fouls out to the catcher. Jesus comes up, and, man, he's, like, standing on one foot, closes eye on one hand, grand slam, right? Probably wouldn't have been the way he would have done it, but you, you get my point, right? Now, think about, think about Jesus. I never sinned. We know that he never sinned. So in your house, you know, I don't know, but here's what I heard in my house all the time. Patrick! I'd done something. My mom had found out. She calls me Patrick still to this day. Patrick? And, she got, and, and so she's yelling at me. And even if my other brothers and sisters, I, I'm the one she's yelling at because it was probably me. Growing up in Jesus' home, you think Mary ever said, Jesus? Never. James, John, I mean, James, Jude, but 
never yet. Jesus is perfect. I mean, so, so, I mean, these guys, man, they're like, you know, I mean, put yourself in their shoes, right? I mean, they grew up in the exact same house with Jesus, small house. We're not talking about bedrooms and all this stuff. They slept in the same room with Jesus. They wore, you know, the, the, Jesus is the older brother. They wore Jesus' hand-me-downs, right? I mean, they knew him since they were born, and they had no clue who he was. A couple of very important things. I think it is, so, especially in the southeastern part of the United States that we live in. You know, it's called the Bible Belt. And we happen to live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I don't know if you know this, but Nashville is like a home to all practically denominational headquarters. And, and so we live right in the epicenter of the Bible Belt. And so, man, in the Bible Belt, and I've got some pastor friends. And, you know, we, we, we uh, uh, got a lot of pastor friends, but some that doesn't live in the southeast. And, you know, we think about... What's, what's a hard place to do ministry? Surely it's not the Southeast because in the Southeast, everybody's so hospitable. And I mean, Jesus is, you know, I mean, still you can say the name there, but the Northwest is really hard, right? The Northeast, I mean, wow, it's difficult to do ministry. No, you have those pastors come down here and they're like, no, that, that, there it's easy because listen, everybody there knows they're not Christian, all right? You come down here, you have to help people know they're not Christian before you can help them to understand they need Jesus, all right? It's very difficult here. And I think John's brothers are a great picture of a lot of people here uh, in, in the Southeast. And that picture is people can be so familiar with Jesus that they drive right by him and miss him. They might have heard the gospel so many times. Man, you know, it's Jesus, yeah, death, yeah, resurrection, yeah, I've seen the Christmas. You know, I come, I come, you know, to Easter and, you know, I mean, uh, up and my, my kids asked one time, I think it was Allie Cade, or one of my kids said, oh, why, why, you know, why, why are we going to Easter? The same thing happens every year. They get Jesus on the cross, they get Jesus off the cross every year. Same thing happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can become so familiar, right? You, you, you know that. You know all the stories, you, and, and, and then you, be, you become so familiar that you miss him. And, and you, you, you grow up in church, right? Your mom went to ch took you to church. You, you were baptized. You joined a church. But then at some point, you might, you might question, I, do I know Jesus? Your mom, your mom and dad reassure you. Oh, yeah, you prayed that prayer. Man, you went to youth camp every year. You, you know some Bible verses. Yes, you're a Christian, right? That's what the culture tells you. And it's like, are you so familiar with Jesus that you've driven by? Well, let me give you a great, a great way to assess that. It's not like, well, I hope when I get there. No, here's a great way to assess it. Has there been any transformation in your life? I'm not talking about external behavior modification. I'm talking about internal transformation. Is God changing your desires and your hearts? Right? Remember, pre-Christian, I want what I want when I want it. After, you know, in my spiritual infancy and adolescence, I want what God wants, sort of when I want it. But then I'm, as you grow and change, I want what God wants when God wants it. He's changing my heart. He's changing my desires, the things I love, the things I'm going hard after, my dreams. Is God doing that for you? If there's no transformation, if, you, if God's not, the, you know, not even really on your mind until you need him or like you see something, then folks, I'm going to tell you, 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 you might be like Jesus' brother, so familiar with him, but you've driven by him. And he's not real. And Jesus would say, I, I, depart from me. I've never know, known you. Right? So we can learn this from Jesus' brothers. Who's Jesus to you? Right? Is he so familiar? Or has he changed your life? Now, let me give you some encouraging word about this too that I think we can see. Some of you, man, you've got family that's far from God. Maybe it's your mom, your dad. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's a brother. Man, I, I find myself, you know, praying for my family. And there's days, you know, I have specific things. And I pray for them specific days. And Man, I, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes I notice. And, man, I'm praying for their salvation for more and more of them. It's like, what in the world? So you've got family. Every one of us have got family that's far from God. Man, some of you weep and you cry. Here's what I want you to understand. I want to encourage you that did you know Jesus knew exactly how you feel? His own brothers didn't even believe in him, folks. His own brothers didn't believe in him. He knows how you feel, right? But don't give up because they did. They eventually surrendered to his lordship, which means boss after his resurrection. Did you know that James and Jude, listen, these guys here that are mocking him or are, 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 are you know, motivating him in a bad way, that, that James and Jude, man, they, they even write books of the Bible that bear their name, the book of James, the book of Jude. 
right? James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church, which was a, such an influential church. It pretty much had influence on all churches in the first century and in, 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 in the beginning of, of, of the church, right? James had a couple of nicknames. One was James the Just. Now, if your nickname is James the Just, you can imagine that James was a, a just guy. But you know what another nickname for James was? Camel Knees. We learned this from extra biblical resources that James was, they called him camel knees. Why? Well, it was a metaphor for the fact that he spent so much time in prayer. He was a prayer warrior, right? And it was a metaphor for, for prayer. Now, who did he pray to? Think about this. His brother. His brother. Did you know that they died? James and Jude, well, sure you knew they died. I mean, this was like 2,000 years ago. They're not still living, right? Did you know they were murdered? They were murdered. Why? Because they said their brother was God. They served their brother as Lord, which means boss. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Uh, uh, this is proof that, 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 that Jesus was God, right? Because I, I don't know if any of you have brothers. How many of you have brother, uh, a brother, brothers? A lot of you have brother. Any of you, any of you think, man, I'm going to worship my brother's God. No, you want to kill your brother like they killed Jesus, <laughs> right? But you don't want to worship your brother as God. The only way you're ever going to worship your brother as God is if he is indeed God. The only way you're going to surrender to him as Lord, which means boss, is if he is the Lord, right? And so here, here, here's, here's what I want you to understand, man. I want you to give you some encouragement. If you've got family that's far from God, don't, don't give up. Don't give in. Be encouraged. Jesus knew exactly what you're going through. His brothers didn't believe in him. And eventually, after his resurrection, they surrendered and even died for him. Okay? So, so let, let, let's move on. And, and I want to read... Uh, verses uh, 11 through uh, uh, 13 here, 11 through 13, say, say this. They say, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Where is he? Now, there's two groups of Jews. Uh, one, this just references one, is the religious leaders, right? In, 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 in one, which we're going to refer to this, in verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Uh, he would not go to G Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's talking specifically about the religious leaders, okay? And so, so, so the religious leaders, that's the second group, and we're going to look at those. Then, then also the Jews refer to the crowd, as we're going to see here. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? Uh, uh, and there was much muttering about him among the people, that's the second group, the people, just all the Jewish people. Everybody was discussing Jesus. He was a topic of conversation, right? And, and so uh, there was much muttering about him among the people. While some, some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. He's a bad man. He's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. Okay, now, so the second group of people that we see is the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders. Now, the Jewish leaders were looking for Jesus at the feast. They're thinking, surely he's going to come to the feast. I mean, number one, he's a male, and they're sort of required to come. Number two, I mean, he's this rabbi, religious leader. And I'm, he's, surely he's going to be. They're looking for him, not because they want to learn from him, not because they want to see him do his miracles or hear a good word of teaching and sit under his teaching. No, they're looking for him because they want to kill him. They've actually begun to put up wanted posters with Jesus' face on them probably all over Jerusalem. They want to kill this man, right? Why do they want to kill him? Listen, this is the second group, because they were threatened by him. They were threatened by him. Jesus always threatened the religious establishment, okay? Jesus, remember when he was born? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Herod was just a few miles away, about five miles away in Jerusalem. Bethlehem's about five miles from Jerusalem. And Herod was about five miles away. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Herod and the religious leaders had absolutely no clue, paid no attention to what was going on. The wise men come probably up to about two years later. And they ask Herod. Herod gets so threatened by Jesus. What does he do? He gets so threatened. He goes and he wants to wipe him out. He's going to kill. So he kills all the babies two years and under. The baby males two years and under. Because he's a threat. Now, Jesus is still threatening the religious leaders as a 33-year-old as a man, right? At 33-year-old man, he's still threatening the religious leaders. And, man, they, they want to kill him. They don't like him because he's a threat to their power, right? I mean, uh, he is not going to play their political game. He's a threat to their income. Remember when he turned over the tables? That was all about their income. They had set this up, and it was, man, they were making kickbacks like crazy, making, I mean, money hand over fist. He threatened their income. He threatened their power. He threatened their comfortable lifestyle. 
right? Their position. He threatened everything they had lived their life. He threatened their good old Jewish dream. Just like he threatens a lot of good old American dreams today. Our comfortable life. Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner of the Chicago Bulls, multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire. Michael Jordan retired. When Michael Jordan retired, he was celebrating his retirement. And Reinsdorf, uh, he referred to the American dream. He said, you know what the American dream is? The American dream is when you reach a place in life that you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, and you can do anything you want to do. That's the American dream. And you listen to that, and any second-year Christian, right, not just any second-year Christian should be able to say, oh, whoa, that." That doesn't even sound familiar to the gospel. It's so foreign to the gospel. It's not about doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it and not having to do anything you don't want to do. That's not the gospel. That's not anything to do with Jesus. And see, Jesus threatens a good old comfortable life. He threatens us. He threatens us because, listen, if I surrender to him as Lord, if I surrender to him as Lord, then guess what I'm going to have to do? I have to live by his sexual ethic. I have to live by his financial, uh, uh, you know, his financial plan, his, 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 in obedience to what he says to do with our money. I have to do what he says to do in relationships and marriage and with my friends and forgiveness. And, you know, my dreams need to be submitted to him. And I want to dream my own dreams. And, man, I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. And see, he threatened the religious leaders. And he threatens a lot of people today. He threatens a lot of people today, folks, and, and people don't surrender to Jesus because he's a threat of how he might change my life or keep me from doing, living my dreams. To what in your life is he a threat today? To what in your life is Jesus a threat? Who is he to you? Then the third group of people, the third group of people are, are the crowd. It's the crowd that we see. Now remember in chapter 6, man, we're talking, now this was six months ago, okay, uh, six months ago, but in chapter 6, one chapter earlier, man, they're wanting to crown him. They're wanting to crown him king, right? I mean, this dude's giving us free food. He's giving us free health care. Look at the miracles he's doing. Listen to him teach. I mean, let's crown him king. Now, now, man, they're, they're like, half of them want to kill him, right? They're, they're with the religion. Everybody's muttering, murmuring, arguing. They're discussing Jesus. Everybody's got an opinion on Jesus. Some were saying, oh, he's a, he's a really good man. And others were saying, oh, no, he's not a good man at all. He's a bad man. He actually deceives people. He's, he, he deceives people. Uh, listen, folks, I promise you, all of your friends, everybody you work with, everybody you go to school with, they've got an opinion about Jesus, right? They, they've got an opinion about Jesus, and some think he's a great man. Now, they, they, I mean, they look, they've examined, you know, what, oh, yeah, he's a good man. And they necessarily don't know him as Lord, but, oh, he's cool, right? I mean, he's good. I mean, yeah, look at all these. Great. Others are like, oh, no, he's not good at all. I mean, they, some of them said he's not good. He deceives people. Now, why, why do you think they thought said, was saying he deceived? He never deceived anyone. No one's ever been more honest than Jesus. And no one's ever been more forthright than Jesus. So why do you think they thought he deceived people. Let me hypothesize with you. Do you think it possibly could have been because, man, he's given free food. He's given free health care. Man, he's healing people. And they're thinking, oh, man, following Jesus, it's I mean, free food, free health care. Who's not in for that? Let's go, boys. I mean, you follow Jesus and you're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be wise. He's going to make our lives better. And then all of a sudden, man, they start following him around. And I'm like, wait a minute, their lives are not better. He didn't feed them every meal, right? He didn't heal every disease, he didn't do, I mean, and so, whoa, he's deceiving people. He told us, we come in thinking, we're going to get this. And, man, we didn't get that at all. Matter of fact, our lives, not, it's, been, it's been worse in some ways, right? Listen, there's a lot of people today who, who completely think they're going to get something they're not going to necessarily get when you follow Jesus. You come to Jesus thinking, man, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, life's going to be much easier, right? Life's gonna, I wish I could tell you that life's going to be easier if you follow Jesus. But the truth will get in the way of a good story. You know, life's not going to be easier when you follow Jesus. It's going to be harder, I promise you. Because you're going to face all the same troubles that people who are not Christians face. And then you're going to face the added pressure of, of, of following Jesus going against the current. Okay? It's not going to be easier. Listen, it's really cool in our world to worship anything but Jesus. Did you know that? It's really cool to worship anything but Jesus in our world. Okay? I mean, listen, because uh, it's cool to worship anything as long as you don't say, you're right. 
Worship the wall over there, man. Worship your car on the way home. That's cool. But don't tell me I'm, 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 I'm wrong if I don't. I mean, so, but, so Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus says, oh, Jesus said, why? The world hates me. And why did he say the world hates me to his disciples? Because I point out their sin. Right? I mean, listen, I love the Bible. I got to tell you, man, I've studied the Bible for years Man, I studied it in seminary intently. I study it every day, most every day, right? I'm in it, uh, and uh, uh, 365 days, man, I probably miss a day here and there, right? But I study the Bible. I love the Bible. Why? Because in it is life, because it points us to Jesus, right? And it is life, and I love it. And at the same time, there are times when I really don't like it at all, right? You know when I don't like it? When I really want to do something and I read something that says, no, Pat, you can't do it. I don't want to do that, Jesus. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It confronts me. And when it confronts, who wants to be confronted? Do you like being confronted? (laughs) No. And so I don't, I love the word, but sometimes I don't like it because it confronts me and that's when it's good for me. And listen, people always have an opinion about Jesus. And I promise you when he does, especially for those who don't know him, it's like, Oh, yeah, right. When I start talking about his sexual ethic and his money and all the kind of stuff the Bible talks about, how we treat people, how we, how we have to love him, we got to hate our moms and dads. Oh, yeah, boy, that's good. Hate your mom and dad. The Bible tells well, what he's saying is you got to love me more than your mom and dad. And every mom and dad, listen, I hope, I pray my kids would love God more than me because if they love God more than me, they're going to love me that much more. See, but, but when you don't know God and you want to fight again, I don't want to do that. It's archaic. It's archaic, man. It's old-fashioned. Those Christians are narrow-minded bigots. I mean, man, they're, they're so exclusive, and they think it's them. I mean, you know, so that, that's what starts happening. See, it's a threat. And then guess what happened? The ones who thought he's a good man, they should have been speaking up for him. You know what it says that they did? Now, listen, listen, this is, this, this, some of you need to hear this. You know what they said? They didn't speak up for fear of the Jews. They didn't speak up for fear of the Jews. If I speak up, they might throw me out of the synagogue. I've been a member of this synagogue all my life. And my rabbi, he doesn't like Jesus. And if I speak up for him, they might throw me out. If I speak up for him, I might lose my friends. Man, I I don't have many. I'm from a small village. And my my village, I mean, I might lose my friends. If I speak up, I, 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 might, I, might, you know, I might not be the captain of the football team next year. I mean, man, my, my, the, the, the coaches may, I mean, the, you know, they, they, they might ridicule me. I, I, I mean, if I speak up, my girlfriend might leave me. If I speak, listen, uh, it, it was fear. It was fear. They didn't follow Jesus because of fear. Some of you, man, don't speak up because of fear. Here's what I can promise you. If you follow Jesus, you're, you're, you're probably not going to be the most popular kid in your school. Okay? I promise you. Because your lifestyle, if you really follow Jesus, your lifestyle is going to confront a lifestyle of sin. Come on, man, let's go, let's go hang out and get blasted. Man, let's go hang out and, and, and get blasted and do, and do this and do that. It's like, oh, man, I can't. I'm sorry. Man, that, that confront. oh, you're goody too, you know. Oh, you think you're better than everybody else. No, man, I don't think I'm better than anybody else at all. I just live by a different authority for a different reason, right? I mean, your lifestyle confronts sin if you really follow Jesus. So some people out of fear of, man, I, I won't be the most, I promise you, you, you won't be the most popular guy or gal at your school or your work. You might even miss out on promotions and make it more money you, you you might get ridiculed I don't know you might get ridiculed who cares I mean really who cares you might get ridiculed I mean there's a there's people right now having their head chopped off on a chopping block literally today will die for Jesus and I'm worried that I might get ridiculed I mean listen folks out of fear they didn't speak up out of fear Here's what I, I want to I look up here. I'm going to read you a passage from Mark, chapter 8. Listen to this. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man 
or woman, that word there, humanity, what does it profit a man to get all the money he ever wanted and stand before God and forfeit his eternity? What does it profit a man to be the boss at his work, to get the position and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a student to be popular and lose their soul? What does, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? How much is your soul worth? Is it worth your two seconds of popularity? Is it worth your moment of having enough money to do whatever you want? What's your soul really worth? Man, verses 38 is really piercing. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, this is Jesus, by the way, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home today, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterate and sinful generation, speaking of the first century and every century since, of him will the Son of Man, will Jesus, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus said, what's your soul worth? Some of you are afraid to stand up. What's your soul worth? Because if you're ashamed of me, when I return, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Opposite of well done, good and faithful servant, isn't it? Folks, listen, that's a piercing question. There's three groups of people here. There's his brothers. And they're so familiar with Jesus that they've driven right by him and thought, man, I know all the answers, and I can answer every answer in Sunday school, Bible study. I got the answers, man. I was baptized. I, 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 I got baptized. I remember I getting baptized on, on Easter Sunday down there one day at the church. I got baptized, and, man, I prayed that prayer. And, listen, you've got to be baptized in active obedience if you're a Christian. And, and praying a prayer is not bad. It doesn't save you, but it's not bad. It's an acknowledgment. And you, you, you get baptized to, join, uh, to, to, uh, to, to identify with him. You can join a church. I believe it's biblical to join a church. That's an act of obedience. But none of those things make you a Christian. Some of you are so familiar, you're driven right behind you got the religious leaders, man, who are so threatened by Jesus that they're antagonistic toward him because they don't want to give up anything. you got friends like that. But then you've got some people, man, who are on the fence. you got some people who are on the fence. And, and man, you got people that's like, I, I'm trying to figure him out. Everybody's got an opinion and, and all this stuff. But some, uh, some people are, man, they're, they're, some, of, some of you perhaps are, man, you love Jesus, but you're afraid to speak up and let people know it. And you know what James says? Listen, you're afraid if I do, I'll be an enemy of the world. I'll be hostile with the world. I won't get my job. I won't get. And, and James says, "Listen, uh, a, a friendship with God is hostile. A friendship with the world is hostility toward God. So you got to decide today: who do you want to be your enemy, the world or God? Really, who do you want to be your enemy, the world or God? Because you're either friend with the world and and hostile with God, or you're a friend with God and hostile to the world. Who do you want to be hostile toward? And listen, some of us are like, man, I I, I love Jesus." I'm going to come to church and, and do those things. But, man, tomorrow, I'm, I'm like, I, I want to I dance with my foot on both sides of the fence. And, and God said, you can't do that. It's called lukewarm. And in Revelation, he said, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather for you to be hot, on fire for the Lord. I'd rather for you to be cold than I would to have one foot in and one foot out. That, that, that does damage to the kingdom. Three groups of people. But really what matters is, who do you think Jesus is? Who is the real Jesus? Who do you think he is? Who do you think he is? Travis is going to come in our, our, our choir and our band, and they're going to lead, and we always do this. It's a time of, of uh, commitment. It's a time of response. You hear the word, we want to give you a chance to respond. Let me tell you how you can respond today. I want to be very clear. We're going to respond by giving our tithes and offerings. When, when we stand up in a moment, our ushers will come forward, and they'll give our tithes and offerings after we stand up. And, uh, uh, and, and so that's the way we respond, okay? Some of you have already given like me online, and that's great. Thank the Lord for what he's given you. I do that. I encourage you, if you make a salary, do that, a consistent salary. 
That's one way to respond. Another way you're going to respond, it, some of you can respond, is like, today I really believe there's some people that are very familiar with Jesus. You're, you're like Jesus' brothers. Man, you've been so familiar with him and know all the answers. And man, I mean, you can check the boxes, but there's been no internal transformation in your life. And your dreams haven't really changed. Jesus doesn't drive your dreams. When you think about what you want to do for a living if you're a, or what you want to do for a career if you're in school or whatever, Jesus and his, his kingdom has no bearing. It's like, what, what will make me money? What will make me happy? Rather than what does God want me to do? It has no bearing in your marriage. You know, man, my marriage, I'm unhappy, but getting in, getting out. God has no bearing in my marriage. God has no bearing in how I, how I, I, I extend forgiveness. I mean, listen, if that's the case, I, I want you to say, I want to I challenge you to examine, are you a cultural Christian? You're so familiar, but you really have not had internal transformation. Will Jesus say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, I pray not. I hope not. Some of you today need to come and say, hey, listen, I, 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 I'm familiar with him. I've, I've never had tr internal transformation. I need to be saved. Some of you might be antagonistic toward God because he threatens you. Or you might not be literally uh, antagonistic, but it has resulted in this underlying, man, he's threatening, my, threatening these things and you're afraid of what you have to give up. Today I would say, man, if God is calling you and you surrender to him, it's not what you give up. You won't worry about that. And some of you are Christians. Some of you are Christians. And today, let me, some of you have been so afraid to go public with your faith. You've let fear of losing my job or fear of not being popular, fear of losing Instagram followers, or fear of, uh, you, you've let fear hold you back. We need to repent of that and say, God, I'm not going to be ashamed of you any longer. I never want you to be ashamed of me. I want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. How do you need to respond today? As, as, as our, we sing about the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to sing about. As we sing about the name of Jesus, you can respond in any of those ways. And, and you can come and, and you can just pray at the altar if you want to. I think Joe, Joe Gordon, Joe's down here. He'll be, he, if you need somebody to pray with, we'll have a staff member down here. Right? So you can come and you can pray at the altar. You can go. Joe will be standing over here. If you come down, he'll find you. You can come back, talk to us at the next steps. You can pray. Just respond however God leads you to respond. That's, what, that's all we ask you to do. Right? You're going to respond. You're going to respond. You respond how God leads you to respond. Be driven by the Spirit for the will of God, for the, in the time of God, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I say that so often when I pray. And God, it's easy, easy, easy to say. But God, I pray that our lives would reflect that. I pray today that there are people in this room, Father, that would realize I've been so familiar that I've driven by them and today is the day of their salvation. I pray for today people who are threatened by you. And God, I pray that you would break down walls of hostility and antagonism. I pray, God, that, 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 that today there would be Christians in this room who would say, man, I'm, I've been so very... Uh, um, weak in my faith that I, I won't stand up and I pray that today they would God we love you again we say help our lives to prove it right now in what we do in Jesus name Amen